Thank you so much, Steve and Dick, and thank you, Hoffman Town Church, for the privilege of being here this morning and this weekend. It has been a blessed occasion for me, and I'm, I'm so grateful for your hospitality. I, um, I love your pastor. And in fact, uh, I don't do this often, but uh, I even listen to his messages on, uh, you know. Uh, he... In fact, last Sunday, if you missed last Sunday, get on the website, listen to it, and then do it. That's the big deal. Just, just do it. Think about it. Your pastor, his predecessor, Wayne Barber, for whom I had great respect. In fact, Jeannie and I met Wayne and Diana 33 years ago in a restaurant in Salzburg, Austria, of all places. Can you believe that? And uh, I have consummate respect for him and consummate respect for Eric. And, and I would say the same thing about Steve, because they were and are men who sing and preach a faith that requires thinking, thought. It can stand the test. There, there's a lot of fluff out there that you hear sung about and preached about, but um, to sit at the feet, as you have the privilege week after week, of someone who challenges you to think about what the Scripture says and to open up the Word of God is a, is a blessing. I, I wish I lived close enough here. It's a little far to commute from Oklahoma City. But if I lived anywhere within 100 miles of here, I think I would, I'd make the journey to this church to hear your pastor preach. Don't you think it's a good thing that God called him to be the pastor of this church? Thank you, Eric for the privilege of being here. This has been a wonderful week for us to consider God's mission. We are co-missioned with Him, and I am humbled, as I said, at the privilege to be here and the confidence of your pastor in asking me to spend these few hours with you. I'd like for you, if you will, please, to open your Bible to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. Now, it's going to take some of you a while. If you don't have your iPhone, you're not using your iPhone. And some of you who really don't care about what people around you think will just go straight to the index, and you'll, you'll find the page number it's on, and you'll turn over there. And the rest of you who want to look spiritual will sort of flip through the latter part of your Old Testament and find stuck there someplace between Micah and Obadiah. There's this little book of 48 verses called Jonah. Jonah is one of the minor prophets. And uh, now that you have your Bible over that, let me take just a few moments to... Uh, to introduce the subject for this morning. In just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I just want to talk about that just, just for a little bit. If I could just, and this does not relate to the message so much as it does to, to what's happening in the world and what's happening in our lives today. Uh, the invitation, the idea of inviting people to, to, to cast a verdict in relation to what they've heard in the gospel of the Lord, uh, that has fallen on hard times these days. Now, there are a lot of different reasons for that, but, but I think part of it is because people think that the invitation is man's idea. I mean, you immediately, when you say, we're going to have an invitation, you think of Billy Graham or Franklin in the Coliseum. Um, one of the most unique invitations I ever read about was, took place in Denver, Colorado some years ago when Mordecai Ham 
by the way, under whom Billy Graham came to know Christ, but, but Mordecai Ham was preaching a crusade there, and it was before they had Colosseums, and they had built a huge wooden tabernacle and uh, put a metal roof on it. And just before he stood up to preach, uh, it would hold about 3,000 people, it began to rain, and then it began to sleet. And it sounded like, you know, a million uh, machine guns. You couldn't hear yourself think. And they say that it, the Denver Post said that Mordecai Ham got up behind his, the pulpit there in that big old wooden tabernacle with all the rain and sleet coming down, bowed his head in prayer, and then simply looked up and began to beckon with his hand. And the Denver Post says that over a thousand people responded that night to trust in Christ as their Savior. Not one word of preaching, just, just the beckoning. Of God was there. God is in the invitation. What I want you to see is this. The idea of the invitation, not various invitation systems. I'm not talking about that. But the idea of an invitation is God's idea. It's not our idea, man's idea, some preacher's idea. You can trace it through the Scripture. Beginning as early as Genesis 7, you find God inviting Noah and his family into the ark, which Jesus said later on was a picture of salvation, and it's eternal security because God shut the door, you see. And then you can just trace it right through the Scripture. You can go all the way to the last chapter in the Bible. And there are five verses up in the book of Revelation, five verses up from the last verse in the Bible. You have what? An invitation. The Spirit and the Bride. The Holy Spirit through the church is saying, come. And there in the middle of the Bible in the Gospels is Christ saying what? Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Now, now what is all of this about? Well, You see, the Lord does not want you or me, He does not want us to separate the idea that we can have faith on the one hand without response on the other. He always links faith with action. Faith is not works, but faith has attendant works. If if you went, for instance, to the 11th chapter, don't do this now, but if you went to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. There you would find the roll call of men and women of faith. But none of them is famous for what they thought or how they felt or for sitting in church on Sunday morning and nodding their head in endorsement. They're famous for what they did in response to what God said. Abel offered, Enoch walked, Noah prepared an ark, Abraham went out, Jacob and Isaac blessed, Moses forsook. I mean, he goes through the whole list there, and then he says, what, what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak, of Samson, of David and of Jephthah, who by faith, and there always is an attendant activity. Je- well, Jesus could have stood at the, um, at the outskirts of any town in Galilee and said, I pronounce everyone healed. He didn't do that. He gave an invitation. You, stretch out your hand. All right, you, you men, go show, go show the priest. Uh, you, sir, take up your bed and walk. There was always this attendant activity. You see, when, when you know, your pastor is so faithfully preaching the Word of God week after week, Uh, He's like an attorney, in a sense, arguing a case before the jury. You are the jury. And when an attorney argues a case before the jury, he doesn't then just dismiss them. No, they are sequestered until they render a verdict. And the invitation is the opportunity for you to render a verdict. 
of what you have just heard, to respond. It's a beginning way of responding in faith to what you've heard. So, listen, all through this week, you have heard much about missions. I mean, it staggers my imagination just walking down the fellowship hall there and seeing all the things that, all, all the opportunities. How will you respond? So here is the invitation, and I, I'm explaining this because I think it's going to involve every one of us. At the close of the service, very simply, I'm going to ask this. If you, as a member of this church or even as a guest, if you will say this to God, Dear God, by your grace, I am willing to embrace the next thing you tell me about missions. If you're willing to say that, then I'm going to ask you to come and join me and the pastor and others all across the front here. You can stand, you can kneel, uh, you can sit on these front chairs, but we're going to have a time of prayer. And our prayer will be that God will hold our feet to the fire. That down the road here, three weeks from now or three months from now, when God whispers to your heart and says, this is it, this is what I want you to do, that you will remember that at this altar on this Sunday morning, you stood and you prayed with the pastor, and the pastor and you prayed together, dear God, hold my feet to the fire, because I will embrace, the, I'll put my arms around, I will get, and you say, well, I'm not ready to go to Africa. You, it might be about going, literally, that's what we always think of, but it might be about helping to go. Or for you parents and grandparents, it might be about letting go. Or it might be about praying for those who go. Let, let God fill in the blanks. We're not saying that. God says, I know the thoughts. The Scripture says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord your God. Thoughts for good, not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. So his thoughts are good for you. And all you're saying is this, Lord, in the days ahead, I, have, I, I want to assimilate all that I've heard sung and prayed in these presentations, Lord, I just want to say this. I will embrace the next thing you tell me about missions. If you will say that, I'm going to ask you in just a few moments to join all of us across the front, and we're going to pray that God will just hold our feet. We'll ask God to take a group photograph. How's that sound? Not of our heads, but of our hearts. And we'll just ask the Lord to hold our feet to the fire. So when he says, this is it, we will say, Yes. Is that fair enough? Now, you have your Bible open to the book of Jonah. Let me just talk to you a little bit about Jonah. This is, as I mentioned the other night, sort of peeling back the rind of the orange before we, we look at the various portions of it. Um, Jonah is one of the minor prophets, not because the message is minor, but just because the book is short. It's not long like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, and so we call it a minor prophet, these prophets toward the end of your, of your Old Testament. Jonah was an 8th century B.C. prophet. That means before Christ, he was a prophet. Now, nobody ever went to God and said, God, I'd like to apply for the position of prophet. Now, the reason for that was that if you were a true prophet of God, uh, everything you said came true. If you said you were a prophet and then prophesied and it did not come true, the penalty was what? It was death. So you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't have a lot of people standing in line saying, well, you know, I feel like God's calling me to be a prophet. No, nobody wanted this. 
And God would, God would speak to men, and he would call them and say, I want you to prophesy. And so we read about Jonah in the Scripture here, and he's an, and he's an incredible person. He had, some, had some, some contemporaries. He was a prophet out of the, of the northern part of what you think is all of Israel. But as, of course, you know, there was the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and he was from the northern part of Israel. You know, as I do, that Jonah was commanded by God to go to a city. The name of the city was Nineveh. Nineveh, capital of the Assyrian Empire. Later on, it'd be, it was the largest city on the globe 100 years after Jonah. In fact, it may have been the largest city at the time of Jonah. But when Sennacherib, you remember Sennacherib and King Hezekiah down in, he was down in Jerusalem, and here's Sennacherib bringing all of his troops, and, and in one night, 185,000 of his troops were killed, which is, would make me want to talk to the cook, I think, about what he'd made uh, the night before. But at any rate, uh, so this, this city of Nineveh was the largest city, probably even in Jonah's time, on the globe. Now, what makes Nineveh significant is this. Inside the walls of Nineveh, by the way, the walls of Nineveh, you can, you can follow the archaeologist trail right now. Uh, Nineveh is located in what is much in the news these days, Mosul, Iraq. Uh, Nineveh is on the, uh, originally Mosul was on the, on the east side of the Tigris River, and Nineveh was on the western side, but now Mosul has surrounded all of that. And the walls of Nineveh were 43 miles around. So this was a huge city. As it says in the Scripture, even in Jonah's day, it would take three days to walk across the city. But what you need to know about the Ninevites is this, that they were the most cruel people who ever did and ever have since dwelt on the face of this earth. Wicked, perverted, they invented ways of torturing people. When you think of the Ninevites, think ISIS. Somebody mentioned this the other night. Think ISIS. But the truth is that ISIS does not even hold a candle to the Ninevites. Did, did you know, by the way, and I thought this was very interesting when I read it, um, uh, in, in July of 2014, just, just uh, three years ago, when ISIS came into Mosul, Iraq, do you know one of the first things they did? They went to the traditional tomb of Jonah and blew it up, totally destroyed it. They hate Jonah because, because of all that he stands for in terms of the repentance of the city of Nineveh. And so these were the most wicked, cruel, perverted people on the globe. Every year at a certain time of the year, they would begin to move south, and they would, they would, they would kill babies. They would hold them in front of their parents and torture. These people were wicked, terrible people. And God said to Jonah, and we're going to read this in a few moments, I want you to go into Nineveh and tell them to repent or I'm going to destroy their city. Now, before you get really tough on Jonah, what if I came to you and gave you a stack of four spiritual law tracks and said, look, there's an ISIS camp of about 120,000 people over here, and I want you to sort of saunter among them and just pass out these tracks and say, you know, do you know God has a wonderful plan for your life, and if you'll just kneel with me, you say, I'm not going to do that. with No, well, don't get tough on Jonah because that was what God asked him to do. In fact, God was asking him to do something different. He was saying, I want you to go preach a message so that they will respond and I can restore them. I'll relent of what I plan to do to them. 
Jonah didn't do it. And we're going to read in just a few moments. He went in exactly the opposite direction. Now, before we read through the scripture, and let me just say that in the next few minutes, and don't get scared about this, we're going to look at the entire book of Jonah. There are only 48 verses. That sounds like a lot, but there are four chapters, okay? But, but you'll see. It won't take us long to go through that. And God said, I want you to go there. I want you to preach this message. And we know that uh, Jonah didn't do that. He had no desire to do that. When, uh, when, when people look at books of the Bible, I think you, when you study, walk through these books with your pastor, you always look for the big theme. And generally, when you read about the book of Jonah, they will say, well, the big theme is this, that God cares for everyone, including the Ninevites, that God really cares. But I want to suggest to you that the big theme of Jonah is not that. I would say that is a sub-theme. It's, it's a part of it. But I would say to you that the major theme of the book of Jonah is this. God cares whether you care. God cares if you care. He wants to know if you care. See, the whole book is really not about the Ninevites. It's about Jonah and God's, God's heart adjustment on Jonah. We find him, the, the Bible, the curtain rings down with a pouting Jonah sitting on the side of a hill and God challenging him. So if, sitting there right now, standing here on this platform right now, every one of us needs to know that God cares. It matters to God whether other people matter to you and me whether their eternal destiny, whether the fact they're going to be alive a million billion years from now makes any difference to you. Because you're going to be alive a million billion years from now. And it makes a difference to God whether you are willing to leave them with eternity in view. Every person with whom you come in contact, you can at least leave them with eternity in view. And it matters to God whether that matters to you. Now what I'd like to do in these next very few moments is to just go through this book of Jonah, and I, I, what I, if you will, take your pen or your pencil, and let's, let's write a, cha- a, a, a description at the top of each of these chapters, all right? So at the top of chapter one, this is what you would write. You would write, God cares whether I care. God cares whether I care. That's the title for chapter one. God cares. It makes a difference to God whether I care for other people. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, cry against it. Their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, just the opposite direction, from the presence of the Lord, which is a ridiculous pursuit. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, did that make any difference to God? Yes, next verse, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea. So God now has Jonah right in the center of his radar. Does it matter to God whether it mattered to Jonah? Absolutely. Look what happens. God hurls this great storm on the sea. 
The sailors on the ship, they're doing everything they can to keep the ship afloat. They're throwing everything, probably including breakfast, over the rail. And they're doing everything they can to keep the ship afloat. Jonah is asleep in the hold of the ship. You can read all about this later on. Jonah's asleep down the hold of the ship. The sailors begin to cry out, why is this happening? They cast lots, and it falls on Jonah. They find Jonah down there sleeping. The captain says, what are you doing? How can you? And he explains, I'm a Hebrew. I fear God. And he goes and tells them, I'm running for the presence of God. And he said, the only way that you can avert this is just chunk me in the water. And he said, the storm will abate and your lives will be saved. These sailors cared more for Jonah than he did for the Ninevites. They said, give us a second shot at this. And so they began to row hard. And that didn't work. And finally they said, you know, Jonah, bud, (laughs) you're a nice guy and everything, but um, it's us or you. And they prayed, Lord, don't, you know, he's the one that brought this up. And so they, they chunked him in the water. And the sea immediately became smooth. They began to worship God. But down in the sea, what happens? Jonah is sinking. And by the way, I could talk to you about the, the scientific possibilities of this, but it's enough that Jesus said this happened. Jonah, down in the sea, is swallowed by a great fish that the Lord prepares. And you read about several things the Lord prepares in this, in this book of Jonah. Later on, you read that he prepared a worm. But right now, he prepared a fish. And Jonah finds himself in the belly of that great fish. Now, this begs the question, does God care if you care? Does it make a difference to God whether it cares to you that people are lost and dying and going out to a Christless eternity When you and I have the privilege, as I said a few moments ago, of leaving them with eternity in view, at least doing that, not to mention sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does God care whether you care? You can just say, yes, of course, He cares. I, uh, when I was a, a, a college student, actually a graduate student in college, I was pastoring a church, and I was teaching a course on the campus, going to graduate school, and coaching a swimming team. And I lost my voice. Before I did that, however, I knew there was having problems, and I was yelling at the students, and these were, oh, man, I just, I just and I finally got so tired, and I told them, you guys get out and go to the locker room. And I just jumped in the water, and I was floating around. I was just so very tired. And as I was sort of surfaced there, floating along in the, in the pool, uh, I heard this voice. Said, they tell me you're a preacher. And I looked up, and I'd floated under the diving board of the, uh, what they call a natatorium, but the, you know, the swimming pool there at the college. And up on the, standing on the diving board, there was a young African-American looking down at me, and he said, I hear, they tell me you're a preacher. And I said, yes, I am. He said, I've been thinking a lot about God lately. And I was so tired. I was so tired. I said, really? Well, we'll have to talk about that someday. <laughs> he said, okay. I said, remind me of that, and we'll visit. And he walked off the diving board, back to the locker room. I climbed out. Next day, I went to see a doctor, and, you know, he looked down. They said, well, you got some nodes on your vocal cords, and bottom line is you're going to have to quit doing something. Are you doing anything that causes you to shout? And I said, mm, pool. And uh, he said, well, you quit that. So I quit it and uh, didn't think much about it until I came back to school uh, to teach at the end of that summertime and to teach 
the next semester in the history department. And I looked at the, at the role of my class, and I fully expected that young man was going to be in my class. And I asked the head of the history department, why is he not on my role? I thought you were going to sign him to my class. And he said, oh, didn't you hear about him? I said, no. He said, he went out in his backyard yesterday and put a bullet through his head. Did you know that I think about that almost every day? I think about me. I, I know we're all individually responsible, and I know suicide's an awful thing that we can't understand a lot of things about it, but I do know that I was floating there in the water, and I said, we'll have to talk about that someday. I can help but tell you this morning, God cares whether you care. That, that, to me, was God's storm in my life that got my attention. God cares whether you care. Chapter 2. We're going to move rapidly here. Chapter 2. God cares, by the way, when you care. If you'll see chapter 2, if you look at it carefully, it opens and closes with a time-sensitive reference. Then. Then Jonah prayed. Now, Jonah's prayer was a prayer of incredible repentance in fact, he ends up saying, salvation is of the Lord. And then the last verse, another time-sensitive word. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited up Jonah on dry land. Now, the point is this. God cares when you care. When do you plan to start caring? When, when are you going to do this? You say, when I get enough money, then I'm going to give to missions. When I have enough time, I'll go on a trip. When I do this, I'll stop by and see if I can help somebody in that interest group. Or I'll subscribe to this. Or, uh, you know, God cares. This is a big deal to God when you plan to obey him. When you plan to have this heart for the world. God cares when you care. Time, time's a big deal to God. I realize he's eternal. He's beyond time. He's outside of time. Time is a creation of God. Time is abnormal to God. It's normal to you and me. Everything has a beginning and an end, but not to God. But God cares when you care. I was driving across Oklahoma City one day at the end of a, a long Saturday morning of visitation. And I had planned my visitation perfectly because I wanted to be home at 12 o'clock because the Sooners started playing then. It means nothing to you. It means a lot to me. Okay? And so the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, go witness to Mr. Ripito. I said, Lord, Sooners play 10 minutes from now. The kickoff is 10 minutes from now. I've timed this. He said, go witness to Mr. Ripito. 12 miles across, back across town, Lord, I've witnessed to him until I'm blue. Go witness to Mr. Ripito. So I turned the car around, drove back across town, knocked on the door. Mrs. Ripito answered the door. And I said, Ms. Ripito, uh, could I see your husband? She said, come in. Now, we didn't know then he was three days away from passing away. He had both legs cut off. I went back in the, in the room where he was lying in bed, just a shell. And all I said to him was this, Mr. Ripito, aren't you ready? And he looked at me and said, yes. He said, would you hold me up so I could look you in the eyes while I pray? And I reached down, just, he was so light, I reached down and held him up, and he repented of sin and believed in Christ. We wept. Mrs. Ripito came to know Christ then too. So a couple or three days later, we were, we're, he said, I want to be baptized. Well, this was going to be hard. And so we baptized Mrs. Ripito in the, in the bathtub, and then it got to him. He's got both legs cut off. We don't, and don't go weird on me here now, Eric, you know. Um, so 
So he's lying there in his bed, and this is what I did. I just confess it. I, I, I explained, you know, about baptism, and I put a basin in front of his hand, and I said, okay, Mr. Ripto, if that hands you and that's a baptistry, what do you want to say? He said, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I want to confess that I've trusted Christ. I'm buried with Christ in baptism unto death, raised to walk in this life. We counted it, by the way, as a baptism for, for, for the churches, just for the record. Say, now, now, what does that have to do with time? This is... This is this is it. Three days later, Mr. Rifto died. But at that baptismal service were all of his family members gathered in that bedroom, one of whom was a little girl, preteen girl, over against the wall, his granddaughter. And Lauren trusted Christ and just returned from her first tour on the mission field. You see, it makes a difference. Obedience is either immediate or it is not obedience. So God doesn't just care whether you care. He cares when you care. By the way, go to the, go to the top of chapter 3. Write these words. God cares where I care. Chapter 3 is all about Nineveh and Jonah going there. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time now, saying, Arise, here's where I want you to go. Go to Nineveh, the great city, proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, here is this huge city, an exceedingly great city, three days' walk across that city. Why, of all the places God could have sent Jonah, why didn't he send him to Jerusalem? Why didn't he send him someplace else? Why, why did he send him to Nineveh? Now, now, listen to this. He sent him to Nineveh because God had already been at work in Nineveh. God was already plowing up the ground in the hearts of the people of Nineveh. How do we know that? Just for the record, the greatest single spiritual awakening on record in the history of the world took place in one day in the city of Nineveh. God was already there. You see, there are some places right now where God is at work. And when he says to you, this is where I want you, this is what I want you, God is already there. He cares where you say yes to him. Where He cares where you pour out your care and your love for the Lord and point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. He cares about that. A lady came up to me uh, some years ago. I was her pastor. She was a, a daughter of some uh, missionaries to the Philippines. And uh, she said, Brother Tom, she said, I want to tell you a story about my, my daddy, and, and you might find this interesting. Boy, did I ever. She said, uh, we grew up there in the Philippines. She said, every morning my dad loved to stand at the door of our house and look at this mountain range. There was one huge mountain that just rose up above everything, and, and he would always comment how beautiful that mountain was. It was the top of it, you know, was up in the clouds, and, and she said, you know, he loved that mountain. And one day he turned around almost ashen-faced and said, God has told me that I need to go to the top of the mountain and find the tribe that's the highest on that mountain and share the gospel. It was a long way. It was a long way just to get to the bottom of the mountain, much less to the top of the mountain. Several days. And she said, my dad packed up, took off. She said, here's the rest of the story. She said, he got to the mountain, got up as far as a car could drive, and then begin to trek up, up, up the side of this mountain, looking for the 
for the tribe that was located the high, at the highest elevation on the side of that mountain. She said he found it. She says, walking on this path, going into this mountain village, and he noticed something just very unusual. On either side of the path, there were these trees stripped of their bark. They were dead, and they were just, just white as they could be. You've, you've seen branches and tree trunks like this. They were just white, bleached white on either side of the path. And she said, as he's walking in the village, a chieftain comes to him, and my father greets him, and, and uh, he just motions to these trees and he says what are these trees all about and he said the chief immediately just hung his head and he said my people in this village are wicked wicked people we he said I cannot tell you the bad things we do and he said we know there must be a God. This did not get here. We did not get here. Apart. We know there must be a God. And if he's God, we know he has to be perfect in everything. So we know we can't talk to him because we're not perfect. We're terrible. He's perfect. We don't know what to do. So he said, every day, people from our village come out to these trees, and we, we put our arms around them, and we talk to these trees. And we say, we know there is no sin in you, so would you please tell the holy God to send somebody to us to tell us how we can reach him? Do you think it was important for that man to be there at that moment in that village? God, God cares where you care. When he says, this is it, those are, the, those are the people, this is the place, that's the waitress, this is the store owner, this is your neighbor. God cares where you care for others. Chapter 4. At the top of chapter 4, write these words, God cares why I care. Chapter 4 is all about Jonah's attitude. Notice it greatly displeased Jonah. What happened? What had happened in Nineveh? This incredible spiritual awakening. Did you know that, that, that it did not begin by electing a nice king who dictated that the country would have revival? That is a, that's fallacious faith. God moved in the grassroots. The word finally drifted up to the king who did what kings did. He made an edict, either have revival or die. That's just basically the way kings handled things. But the revival started in the streets, in the people. They began to pray. They began to fast. They began to repent. And what happened was that God relented. The Bible says, okay. Jonah's message was, if you don't repent, God's going to destroy the city in 40 days. They said, okay, we repent. Incredible moment. The most wicked city on the face of the earth repents and turns to God, top to bottom. Peasant king. I mean, everybody in between, even the animals, if you read about that, where he said, I don't want them to eat. I, I want, we're going to turn to God. Incredible. You would have thought Jonah would have been looking to buy a bus and go on the road. You know what he does? He finds a hill outside the city, and he's sitting out there all pooch-mouthed. You could put a rocking chair on his lower lip. He's, it, the Bible says it greatly displeased Jonah. 
And, and Jonah begins to, you know, he has this conversation with God. God says, is this the right thing? He said, you, this is why I didn't want to come. I knew, see, he hated these. The very people he administered, he hated them. That's why we say God cares why you care. You can go through the action. You can come to church. You can even give to a mission offering. But he's after, God is after your heart. If he's got your heart, he's got your pocketbook. That's not the big issue. He's after your heart. And that's what God wants of you. That's what God wants of me. That's what God wanted of Jonah. He wanted his heart. Does he have yours? They say, well, I, you mentioned ISIS a while ago. I, you know, I sure guess they've got eternal life and everything like that. But I don't like those people. I'm just going to care what happens to them. Oh, I'll tell you who died for them. The same one who died for you. Do I like what they do? No, I don't frankly like everything I do. Are they heinous and wicked? Yes, of course. God's after my heart. He's after your heart. So God says, Jonah, is this a good thing you do? You better. I think Jonah's probably said, you're darn tootin'. I have every right to be mad about this. I knew knew you were going to do that. That's the reason I didn't want to come down here in the first place. It got hot out there. And, and Jonah built this little shelter, and then, and then he put this, you know, that God appointed this gourd vine grew up. And Jonah's sort of enjoying it. So he said, well, at least you've got a little shade here for me. And so God handily, he just appoints, literally read it, a worm who just kills the gourd vine. Now Jonah's double mad. He's mad at them. He's mad at God. He's, and God says, it closes, the chapter closes with God Wanting Jonah's heart. He said, Jonah, you did the right thing. You didn't appoint that gourd vine. You didn't make that thing grow. You're all unhappy about it. Shouldn't I care about a city that has 120,000 people in it who don't even know their right hand from their left? God cares why you care. What's the underlying motivation for, for your care? I... Uh, I read a book one. I'm, I'm, I have a hard time with poetry, and I, I read a book one time, and it had a poem in it, and I'm going to take some liberties with the poem, okay? The, the title of the book, I, I mentioned this the other day, was, was a book by uh, uh, L.A. Maxwell entitled World Mission is Total War, but in it was this poem by a guy by the name of Laskowski, and I'm going to take some liberties with it and, and, and sort of baptize it here, and then it's time for you, the jury, to render your verdict, Okay. Jonah built a little booth, a shelter from the heat, and a gourd vine grew, protection from the wind that only beat. And Jonah rejoiced, exceedingly glad, especially because uh, this comfort was provided by the Lord. And uh, he said this, I thank you, Lord. You have been good to my dear wife and me. We're glad we're in this peaceful land with great prosperity, and we love our children, everyone. Keep them home for God. The homeland needs them just as much as mission fields abroad. And it makes us feel so very good, our little bungalow, the, the kitchenette, the living room. You know, the rug is soft. You, well, you know. And, and good old conservative Southern Baptist are we, my children, wife, and I, so grateful. We're saved by grace, secure until we die. What did you say? Oh, Nineveh. <laughs> well, well, that's another thing. Right now we want to praise you, Lord. In fact, I sing on the praise team. Thus, good old conservative Southern Baptist to the Lord, their praises tell. They sing, we're saved, and we're satisfied, while Nineveh goes to hell. 
God cares whether you care. He cares when you care. He cares where you care. And he cares why you care. And so this is the invitation. I mean right now. We're not going to sing anything. I'd like every person in this room who say, Dear God, I want to care like that. I will embrace the next thing you tell me about missions. I don't know what it is, but I know it's good for me and good for the world and good for the gospel. I will do it. If you will say that, we're just going to pray. And I'm going to ask you just to get up. Just come down here. That's it. God bless you. Just get all over this auditorium. Just stand up. Come down here. We'll gather all across the front. Dear God, by your grace, by your grace, I will embrace the next thing you tell me about missions. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it is. I don't know how much it is. I don't know what group it is. But God, by your grace, I will embrace. Is it going? Helping go? Just get as close as you can and make room. And up the aisle, that's it. Just wherever you are. And I'm going to ask the pastor to come here. And we're going to pray in a minute. We're going to ask God to take a group photograph. How's that sound? Of this, the, our happy hearts. God, we will do it. We will embrace it. You show us, we will embrace the next thing you tell us about missions. Oh, my, what an incredible thing. Now, let me just say, if you do not know Jesus Christ, by faith is your Savior. If you've never repented of sin, put your trust in Christ and Christ alone. There are people here who would love to talk to you about it. Do not leave this morning. And we'll hang around after the worship service is over and these next few moments will be dismissed. You, we, we'll hang around. You come talk to us. Say, hey, I want to know Christ. Or I want to respond to a call to missions. Or, hey, my wife and, you know, I, or I just came to join this church today and now you have this missions deal and know what to do. Just hang back here. We'll help you, okay? Don't, don't leave without, without having that need uh, answered. But right now, what are we praying? God, are we with, are we together on this? God, by your grace, because it'll take his grace, I will embrace the next thing you tell me about missions, okay? And John Rupley, you're about to be busy. Okay? Okay, the Lord's taking the picture of our hearts. Some of you can't, I see some of you with your hands high in the air. You can't get to the aisle. I see that. And that's okay. God sees our hearts. So he's got the picture. Now our prayer is, Eric, God hold our feet to the fire. Three months from now, God says, it's him. Speak to him. And you remember right here at this altar, you said, God, I will do it.